message is entitled, When God Shows Up. Amen? And we are uh, going through uh, different aspects of the book of Acts uh, this summer, uh, not covering every chapter, but hitting some of the highlights. And so I want to read from Acts chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 11. It was around this time that King Herod began arresting and persecuting certain members of the Messianic community. And he had Yaakov, Yochanan's brother, put to death by the sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Judeans, he went on to arrest Kepha as well. It was during the days of Matzah, or Passover. So when Herod seized him, he threw him into prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, with the intention of bringing him to a public trial after Pesach. So Kepha was being held under watch in prison, say in prison, but intense prayer, say that, intense prayer was being made to God on his behalf by the Messianic community. That night before Herod was going to bring him to trial, Kepha was sleeping between soldiers. He was bound with two chains, say bound with chains, and guards were at the door keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly, Say it. Suddenly. We're going to talk about that. Suddenly, an angel of Adonai stood there, and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Kepha's side and woke him up. Hurry, get up, he said, and the chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and he did. Throw on your robe, he said, and follow me. Going out, Kepha followed him, but did not realize that what was happening through the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Having passed a first guard and a second, they arrived at the iron gate leading to the city. This opened to them by itself, and they made their exit. They went down the length of one street, and suddenly the angel left him. Then Kepha came to himself and said, Now I know for sure that the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's power and from everything the Judean people were hoping for. Realizing what had happened, he went to the house of Miriam, the mother of Yochanan, surnamed Mark, where many people had gathered to pray. I really believe that Adonai would encourage us today as we continue looking at this first century Kehilah, that he is ready to show up and to move in our lives. As we have said many, many times, he is not unaware of what is happening in our world, in our congregation, and in our personal lives. And when he shows up, everything changes. God showed up and Kepha was set free from prison. And as we read today, he was rescued from the plot of his enemy. So I want us to look at what we can learn from this story of this first century congregation and what took place there with Kepha. The first thing that I want us to, to be reminded of is that Satan has one purpose, and that's to destroy you and your faith. In verses 4 and 6, it talks about the purpose of King Herod and the Judeans whom he was trying to please. It says he threw him into prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. And then it says in verse 6, he was bound with two chains and guards were at the door keeping watch over the prison. We all know this scripture that I'm going to quote, and, uh, and often we say it frequently from Yochanan, John 10.10. 10. The thief, in other words, the enemy of our soul comes to what? Still kill and destroy. Friends, I want you to tell, to tell you this morning that this is serious business. 
The devil does not like you or me. And you may think, well, I'm nobody. You know, I'm not doing anything great for the kingdom. I'm nobody. But it doesn't matter. If your name is written in the book of life, if you say that you are a follower of Yeshua the Messiah, he doesn't like that. And he has one plan, and that is to kill, steal, and destroy your faith and the life of God in you. He will come in to attack you and me in any way he can. He will destroy your finances, your marriage, your health, your children, your business. He is ruthless. He is not playing games. He means to play for keeps. He's not pleased that the kingdom of God is going forward. He's not excited that your name is written in the book of life. And he does not want you to experience abundant life, which is what the rest of that verse says in Yoke 9.10. Yeshua says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. And so the enemy doesn't want us to experience that abundant life. So he robs us of the most basic aspects of our life as a believer. He takes, tries to take away our faith, our peace, our joy, and our strength. One writer talked about the word thief here in Yochanan, which comes from the Greek word klepto, which you can imagine kleptomaniac comes from that Greek word. Doesn't take much to figure that out, right? So obviously it has the meaning to steal. But there's a picture behind this word, and it gives a picture of a bandit pickpocket or a thief who is so artful in the way he steals that his exploits of thievery are nearly undetectable. That's how good he is. So Yeshua uses this word to let us know, this article that I was reading, said that the devil is so cunning in the way he steals from people. He knows that if he does it outright, his actions will be recognized. Therefore, he steals from people in such a deceptive way, and even Rina mentioned this in her Devar Torah, that he often accomplishes his evil goal before they even know he has stolen from them. Often the devil injects thoughts into a person's mind to steal his peace, his joy, and even his beliefs. The article concluded by saying the word klepto describes a thief's uncontrollable urge to get his hands into someone's pockets so he can take that which doesn't rightfully belong to him. Do you understand? Your health, your finances, your family, your marriage doesn't belong to the enemy. But he wants to take it. He wants to steal it, to rob your faith, your joy, your strength away from you. In light of the events of the past few months and years, I think it's obvious to all of us that the forces of darkness are very much alive and active in our world today. Evil is getting more and more blatant. Yet, cunningly, the enemy has wiggled his way into the, the theology of the Kehilah and even into our lives in ways that we don't recognize. And in doing so, he becomes stronger and we become weaker. And that's, again, this concept behind the word uh, klepto that is being used by Yeshua there. Again, the blatant evil around us is very, very easy to see, but we don't always perceive his cunning actions to ensnare us personally. We are encouraged in the scriptures that we are not unaware of the schemes of the evil one. Right? Rob Shul says that we're not unaware, yet often we don't get it. Because he's not blatant right in our face when it comes to the little things in our life. He 
he is operating in your life to kill, steal, and destroy. God wants to encourage us to wake up this morning to see what the enemy wants to do in our lives. That's why Yeshua tells his Talmud demon, he tells us, there is a thief, and he has a plan, and he has a purpose. A couple weeks ago I spoke, God has a plan. But the enemy has a plan as well. And we need to be aware of that, and we need to understand that we're targets for him. Again, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord is a target for the demonic forces of darkness. So how does he work? He's very, very cunning. One of the things he does is to tell lies. Lies which are a slap in the face, as it were, to the truth of Adonai and his word. So in our day and age, he has said that marriage is not between a man and a woman, and he's twisted and tried to redefine marriage. And guess what? The world believes it. But unfortunately, so do many believers. But on the personal level, he will try to work to still and destroy your marriage. He'll tell you things like that. It's too much work. He or she is not good enough for you. Just walk away. You deserve so much more than this. Those are little lies he tries to sow. Why? Because he wants to still. Or if he can't steal it away from you, destroy it. Or it might be in your health. He speaks the lies. You'll never be healed. You just have to live with those symptoms. God doesn't heal anymore. Oh, don't go up for prayer. You've been prayed for so many times. You're going to go up and ask Rabbi Carol to pray for you again? To which I say yes. But the enemy says, no, don't. Nothing's happened. Lies meant to rob you of your divine healing and health. Maybe it's in the area of your finances. He tells you, you can't afford to tithe or give an offering. You don't make enough. God understands. Keep it all for your needs. You see, he's infiltrated our society. He's moved prayer from school. He speaks lies about our origin through things like the theory of evolution that gets people confused. You know, is, is Bereshit Genesis 1 really real? Yes, it is. And by doing these things, he tries to diminish the authority and existence of the one true God. And not only is he using his lies, but he's also the tempter. He exploits our weakness and he tempts us to fall into sin. Think about Gan Eden, uh, the Garden of Eden, and there's Chava. And what does Hasatan do? He comes and he tempts her. Look at that fruit. Why don't you eat from this tree? Did God really say and what does she do? He was exploiting her weakness, and she took of that fruit, and she ate. He even tempted Yeshua himself. And when he comes to us and tries to tempt us, again, he's not so blatant. What did he do to Yeshua? He used the scripture every single time. But he twisted and took the scripture out of context. And so that's what he does with you and I. And you're like, oh, yeah, did God, is that what God meant? Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't think God means that for me. He understands my heart, and he sees my situation, and he knows why, you know, for me, this really applies this way. And he twists and he turns. He's very good at misrepresenting the truth. He'll prey upon us to turn us away from the basic principles of God's word, attacking us again in our area of weakness. He wants to entice us to believe that sin is okay. It's okay to get drunk, to have premarital sex, 
We've had people sit in our office telling it was okay for them to live together without getting married because financially they couldn't get married and God knew that and understand it and it was okay with God. To which we said, no, it's not. It's fornication and it's not okay with God. But they were convinced it was okay with God. And he doesn't just work through lies and temptation, but he also works through compromise. I've seen many people compromise on one little area in their lives, which led to spiritual disaster. My heart is grieved when I see people who have walked away from their faith. And I know it happened because one little door was opened up. And that little door of compromise that seemed like not a big deal, but years later, they're not serving God. And my heart is grieved that the enemy was able to get in and to get a foothold in their hearts and their minds. Friends, I want you to know the enemy is real, and he wants to crush and destroy us. He's shooting his fiery darts at us all the time, and he has one purpose, that's to destroy you to wreck your life in any way he can. And that's what Herod was trying to do with Kepha. He wasn't going to throw a party for him. He wasn't looking out for his best interest. He threw him into prison. He put chains and shackles on him. He put guards around him. Why? Because he had one intent. That was to bring him to trial, and that was to kill him. He had just done it to Yaakov. But unfortunately, sometimes as believers, we don't get it. <clears throat> on the one hand, for us who live in, in America and countries like us, it would be so much easier to recognize the enemy if we were literally put in jail for our faith. You know, then it's like, oh, yeah, this is the enemy. You know, I got thrown in, uh, in, in jail because I was preaching the good news of Yeshua. But he's still active and moving in our life and in our world around us. We just don't realize that we're in bondage and chains. The enemy wants to make us ineffective in our personal life and in our community and our congregation. Again, how does he do that? By placing us in prison. By putting the shackles on our heart, our mind, our emotions, our actions and attitude. Yes, we may still confess a belief in God and we may still attend synagogue, but we're so bound that our witness is rendered ineffective. Why? Because we're not experiencing the abundant life that Yeshua said he came to give us. You see, all of us will go through difficult situations. Coming to faith in Yeshua doesn't mean that all difficulty now ceases. We're in a battle, but in the midst of the storms of life we face, we should be firm in our faith, unmovable in who our God is. However, if you have no joy, if you have no peace, if you are living in compromise, I want to tell you right now, you have chains on you. You have chains on you. So what is the answer? How do we get off out of the shackles and chains that hell has placed on us? <clears throat> Let's look at verse 5. But intense prayer, say intense prayer, was being made to God on his behalf by the Messianic community. Friends, if we want to see the shackles of hell broken off our personal lives, 
our community, our congregation, our world, and yes, even our nation. Is it possible? Yes, it is. Then we need to get urgent in our spiritual warfare. Unfortunately, prayer is often the last thing we turn to. Prayer meetings, sadly, are usually not the most attended meetings in any congregation, not just Beth Emanuel, <clears throat> but in any congregation. One man of God said this, the greatest challenge facing the body of Messiah as a whole today, and therefore every local congregation, is motivating the people of God to engage in sincere, honest, fervent prayer. E.M. Bounds from the early 19th century wrote many, many books on prayer, a man of prayer himself, said one of Satan's tricks is to destroy the best by the good. Business and other duties are good, but we are so filled with these that they crowd out and destroy the best. Prayer holds the citadel for God. And if Satan can by any means weaken prayer, he is a gainer so far. And when prayer is dead, the citadel is taken. Rabbi Michael and I were talking about this, it this week. You see so much extremism in the world today with groups like ISIS, even infiltrating our own country and influencing the minds of young people and, and especially some of these young men in our nation and the radical Muslims in the world. And when you look at it, they are willing to lay down their lives for the cause, for what they believe in. Yet many believers are so caught up in their lives here on this earth that they won't allow their schedules or plans to be inconvenienced for the kingdom of God. As Ian Bounds put it, it could be good things, but those good things crowd out the kingdom business the best. Believers are overwhelmed by just life itself. Yet these extremists say, I will lay my life down and I will die for the cause. And they become martyrs for evil. Can we not become intense in prayer for the cause of the, the, the gospel message of the good news of Yeshua, the Messiah? I want to say this. It's not a new thing that I say. <clears throat> but friends, when you and I stand before the throne of God, and one day we will, the good things of this earth... And my family and I enjoy good things. I have a nice car. I have a nice house, you know, uh, etc. But those things, they're going to vanish. Can't take them with us. And when I stand before God and you stand before God, the thing that's going to count is what we did for eternity's sake. What did we do with the good news that was entrusted to us in the world around us? <clears throat> Prayer is one of the most important things that we need to be devoted to. When you look at this first century congregation, not only here in Acts 12, but you can read throughout the entire book of Acts, and you will see over and over again, one of the things that they were constantly devoted to was prayer. And here it talks about they were involved in intense prayer. For what? For Kepha. So what does intense prayer mean? Well, Immediately when I hear intense, it conjures up a certain image in my mind. And I get it, and I've said this many times before. I understand it's not how loud you pray that makes prayer effective. 
in a few minutes, I'm going to read a quote from Leonard Ravenhill, who was a man of God who was powerful in prayer, and he wasn't a person who was loud in prayer, but he was intense in prayer. So I get it. It's not loudness. However, when I read the word intense, it evokes this image of a strong emotion and passion. Sometimes I can be in a prayer meeting and I feel like I'm going to fall asleep because there's no passion or emotion. I want to stick the mirror under the nose and see if they're still breathing. Friends, I don't think that's what was happening in this prayer meeting. I don't think anyone was sitting there like, well, are we really praying or, or looking at their watch? When it says there was intense prayer going on, I think those people were praying with their hearts out for Kepha's safety. So looking at intense prayer, the Greek word here, first of all, means to be persevering. It gives the implication that one does not waver in one's display of in interest or devotion, and they're eager and earnest. It also means continuous. It's an unceasing activity, normally invoking a degree of intensity. Then that's why, you know, intense prayer, intensity. First Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. And it also means eager. It was something that you want to do. This Kehillah exhibited all of these attitudes in their prayer. They were eager to pray. They were continuous in their prayers, and they persevered in their prayers. Why? Because Kepha's life depended on it. Do you understand? He was in jail. Herod had just killed Yaakov. They needed to pray and intercede for this man, or he would end up dead as well. So they were intense about it. They were pressing in because they wanted to see their friend and their leader delivered. As I said a while ago, and we've talked about it a lot, darkness is increasing all around us. What is the answer? Can we protest? Yes. Can we sign petitions? Yes. I sign them regularly. I get them, and I sign them, and I send them back. Sometimes I'll forward them to you. In our country, can we vote in elections? Yes. But the most powerful thing you and I can do is to pray. We are encouraged in Kepha Aleph, stay sober, stay alert. Your enemy, the adversary, stalks about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stay alert, stay sober. That is the word of the Lord for us today. Friends, this is not a time to play around. It is time to get serious about the kingdom of God and the promises of God for your life and for this congregation. The world is under his control, so the darkness is something they continue to walk in. But he is looking to see if he can ensnare you and me. He's lurking around the corner, seeing how he can get us to compromise. He wants your marriage. He wants your health. He wants your children. He wants your finances. He wants your peace. He wants your joy. He wants your faith. You need to be alert. Your enemy is looking for ways to infiltrate your life. He wants to discourage us into believing that we will never see the promises of God on a personal level or on a congregational level. He wants to tell us revival will never come. An intense prayer is our greatest weapon. I want to read this quote from an article by Leonard Ravenhill. It's a long quote, so it's up here on the PowerPoint so you could read along. And it's about prayer and revival. 
in an old town in Ireland. They will show you with reverence a place where four young men met night after night praying for revival. In Wales, there's a place in the hills where three or four young men, only 18 or 19 years old, met and prayed night after night. They wouldn't let God go. They would not take no for an answer. As far as humanly possible, they prayed a revival into birth. If you're thinking of a revival at your congregation without any inconvenience, forget it. Revival costs a lot. He goes on to say, I can give you one simple reason why we don't have revival in America, because we're content to live without it. We're not seeking God. We're seeking miracles. And I want to just pause and say that you hear us pray for signs and wonders and miracles. We talked about it even as we've gone through the book of Acts because it's something that took place. You know, uh, Acts 3, the man by the gate beautiful, that whole story, and, and throughout, you know, the shadows healing the sick. So we believe because it says in the word that these signs will follow them. But if we ever put the miracles ahead of seeking him, friends, we have, we have missed it. And that's what Leonard Ravenhill was saying. We are seeking miracles and not him. Big crusades and blessings we're seeking. In Numbers 11, Moshe said to God, you're asking me to carry a burden I can't handle. Do something or kill me. He questions us, do you love America enough to say, God, send revival or kill me? Do you think it's time we change Patrick Henry's prayer from give me liberty or give me death to give me revival or let me die? In the 30th chapter of Bereshit, Rachel goes to Yaakov and throws herself down in despair. She says, give me children or else I die. Are you willing to throw yourself down before God to seek the spiritual birth of spiritual children in our country? He concludes by saying, people say I'm filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. If the coming of the Ruach did not revolutionize your prayer life, you'd better check on it. I'm not so sure you got what God wanted you to get. We've said the prayer changes things. He said, no, prayer doesn't change things. Prayer changes people, and they change things. We all want Gabriel to do the job, but God says, do it yourself with my sufficiency and my strength. Friends, the Kehilah and Acts 12, they got it. They were intense in praying. They were fighting for Kepha's life. They said, enough is enough. They had just lost one of their leaders, and they were not going to lose another. They were changed people. They had encountered the person of the Ruach HaKodesh, and it had transformed them, and it manifested in their prayer life, and they were going to see this situation change by intense prayer on behalf of Kepha. Prayer is fighting for the promises of God in your life. I want to ask you a question. Are your children worth fighting for? Who is going to pray your son and daughter into the kingdom of God if not you? Who is going to pray your unsaved loved ones into the kingdom of God if not you? Who will pray intensely to heal, see healing take place if not us? 
Who will be fervent in prayer for breakthrough in your finances, if not you? Who will bombard the gates of heaven continuously for the restoration of your marriage, if not you? Who will cry out to God for the souls of Jewish people in this New York area, if not us? Who will lay down their lives to see revival sweep across this island and the nation, if not us? Where are the intercessors? Where are those who are willing to travail, to press in into intense prayer and say, God, I am not letting go. I am not letting go until my son is right there beside me at Beth Emmanuel, worshiping you as his God and as his Savior. God, I am not letting go until you restore my marriage. God, I am crying out to you until you restore the finances in my family. God, I'm crying out to you because I want to see your manifest presence. It's great to read about past revivals and to be reminded even here of the Welsh revival and that that took place in Ireland because somebody... And I say to the young people, there's three young men in this congregation right now around the same age. I challenge you. Are you three young men willing to cry out for your generation? They were 17, 18, 19 years old. And they got together and they said, let's pray. And they changed an entire nation. Three young men think what we all could do together. What did this Kehillah do? They gathered together in intense prayer. What happened? Kepha's life was spared. God showed up. I ask again, how much do the promises of God for your life mean to you? Enough for you to intensely seek the throne of grace until he answers from on high. And I'm preaching to myself, I can tell you. Who will say enough is enough to Satan? Who will say we are not going to tolerate your operating in our lives anymore? Who will rise up in this hour and grab hold of the horns of the altar and not let go until he opens up the gates of heaven and pours out his presence and brings deliverance? Will it be you? Will it be me? Again, that's what the friends of Kepha did. The result, verse 7, suddenly. The third thing we see from this story is that God has suddenlies in store for each one of us. Verse 7 says, suddenly an angel of Adonai stood there. And a light shone in the cell, and he tapped Kepha's side, and he woke him up. Hurry, get up, he said, and the chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and he did, and throw on your robe, he said, and follow me. And going out, Kepha followed him, but did not realize what was happening through the angel because he thought he was seeing a vision. You see, the result of the intense prayer is that we will experience a suddenly. Kepha is in prayer, is in prison. He's not in the prayer meeting, but he receives the results of the prayers of these Kiddoshim. He's actually sleeping, but the saints, the Kiddoshim are praying for him, and he experiences a suddenly. 
You see, when we press in intensely into prayer, suddenly these will begin to happen in the lives we are praying for. You get intense about your children who are not serving God, suddenly they're going to come to their sentences. Suddenly they're going to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. You get intense about your father, your mother, your other loved ones who are not serving Adonai, and you press in and you pray for their salvation, suddenly they're going to have a revelation. And they're going to come to faith and accept Yeshua as their Messiah. You see, when we press in intensely, Adonai will show up and he will break the chains of bondage off our loved ones, off our Jewish people, people, and even off our nations. Suddenly, these will occur in your personal life as well. Think of the passage from Cornelius from last week's message Rabbi Michael spoke on from Acts 10. It says in verse 20 that Cornelius answered, Three days ago around this time, I was at Milcha prayers in my house when suddenly a man in shining clothing stood in front of me. And what did that suddenly represent? It represented that the good news of Yeshua the Messiah was now going to the Gentiles. That was a big thing, that suddenly For me and many other Gentiles in this congregation, it means that we too are now grafted in and our names are written in the book of life. Adonai responded to this man's prayer. What was he doing? Praying, seeking God. The result suddenly occurred. We have heard of many suddenlies in past generations. I refer to the the Welsh and the Irish revival. Here's another uh, article I was reading. It talked about this other prayer meeting, which we have studied when we studied revivals. The article goes, it was Wednesday, August the 13th, 1737. A little group of people in Moravia were waiting in the prayer meeting. At 11 o'clock, suddenly, the Ruach HaKodesh came in. Do you know what happened? That prayer meeting that began at 11 lasted for 100 years. That's right. This article went on to say that prayer room was not empty for a century. It is the longest prayer among men and women that anyone knows of. Even children ages six and seven years old traveled in prayer for countries whose names they couldn't even pronounce. You see, that's the power of intense prayer. A hundred years, there was someone always in that prayer room for a hundred years straight. What happens when this suddenly occurs? First thing is the enemy will be destroyed. It happened for Kepha. The shackles came off. Yeshiahu, Isaiah 29, 5 and 6 says, But your many enemies, anyone feel they have many enemies? Okay, just me. All right. I'm, I must have all the yours then, okay? It says, Many enemies, your many enemies, God says, will become like fine dust. The ruthless hordes like blown shaft because suddenly... Say suddenly, in an instant, the Lord Almighty will come. That's what we're looking for. Suddenly, the Lord Almighty will come with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with windstorm and tempest and flames of a devouring fire. And what happens? The enemy is no more. We read of the suddenly... That occurred with Rob, Shaul, and Silas when they were thrown in prisons in Acts 16. And there, what are they doing in prison? They're worshiping and praising God, part of the prayer and intercession. 
And it says what in verse 26? Suddenly there was a violent earthquake which shook the prison to its foundation and all the doors flew open and everyone's chains came free. And we know that Rav Shaul and Silas were set free. See, Adonai thwarted the plans of the enemy. He stopped Herod's plan to destroy Cephas' life and ministry. And he showed himself strong on behalf of Rav Shaul and Silas. And he will defend you and me and Beth Emanuel and our community. Suddenly he will sweep into your life and your situation and put to flight the enemy who has been attacking you. So that's one of the results of suddenly. Secondly, suddenly means the promises of God are fulfilled in our lives. Let me just name a few suddenlies from Scripture that we're all familiar with. Think about it. For 25 years, Sarah and Abraham believed for a son. Suddenly, they had Yitzchak. For over 400 years, Israel was in slavery. Suddenly, they were set free. The woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years bleeding nonstop, suddenly she was healed. Lazarus was dead for four days. Suddenly he was alive. Think of the man by the gate, beautiful. He was crippled all his life. Suddenly he could get up and walk. You see, at the appointed time, Adonai will suddenly move into your life and my life and he will fulfill his promise to you and, and me. Our part is just to line ourselves up. You can't make it happen, but you can be intense in prayer and putting yourself in the position where you need to be. And the last thing about suddenlies, I mean, there's a lot more, but I'm just going to close with this, is that when a suddenly occurs, it means that God will manifest his presence in our lives and in our community. Again, not only can we expect the enemies and his attacks to be destroyed and thwarted, not only can we believe for his promises to be fulfilled in our lives, but we can expect the manifest presence of Adonai to show up. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple. How did revival bake out in Brownsville, Florida? It was a community who were seeking Adonai. And those who were around back in 1995 when it broke out 20 years ago on Father's Day. And we went down in 1996, November 1996. And if you know the story, Pastor Kilpatrick and his congregation just began to wait on the Lord. People would go and a few would linger and they just sought God. They just sought God. And literally, they would tell you the story. Suddenly, he showed up. And he showed up in that place, and revival lasted. A million people passed through the doors of that congregation. <clears throat> Those who, again, know from that time, we were down there, and we were standing in line with people who had no faith in Messiah. But they stood all day long to get into that service, to hear a message about Yeshua. <clears throat> what happened at Azusa Street? What happened in Wells in Ireland? People were seeking Adonai, and he manifested his presence. Even in the book of Acts, we've already studied these passages, but in Acts 2-2 it says, Suddenly there came a sound from the sky like the roar of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. What were they doing in Acts chapter 2? They were praying. They were all gathered together in that upper room. <clears throat> Just like in our story from Acts 12, they were praying. 
You see, suddenlies are a response to our fervent crying out to God. Again, we can't make them happen. But he wants to encourage us not to grow weary in the midst of the battle. Yes, the enemy is roaring and attacking and seeking to discourage us. But as I shared a couple weeks ago, God does have a plan. He will break through in your situation and my situation with a suddenly. The enemy wants us to give up. I was reminded of the story of Sennacherib and, and King Hezekiah. And I don't want to go into the whole details. You can go and read that in Debre Hayamim, Second Chronicles. But Sennacherib comes, and he's taunting the Jewish people, and he's saying, you're going to trust in your God. Your God can't do it. I've destroyed every nation around you. Their gods were not able to deliver, and your God's not going to deliver you either. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to taunt us, to give up, to quit. Perhaps for the believers in Acts 12, Satan might have been saying things like, your prayers are not going to work. I already took Yaakov, Cape is next on my list. And from there, I'll go down the list. I'll get Andrew, and I'll just keep going until I have them all. Because he wants us to think that our prayers are ineffective. Why? Because he wants us to think that God is not able. But I want to tell you today, our God is able. We need to not listen to the taunts of hell. Instead, God would encourage us to be earnest and intense in seeking him. Knowing that suddenly he will appear. <clears throat> we shared with our leadership this week an article that God brought to our, to our attention. Uh, really a word in season for us, but it was a prophetic word to encourage us in the midst of the battle with the enemy, and the author spoke even in that article of suddenlies. So it's just so amazing as I was rereading the article. I reread it several times this week, but uh, when I was uh, working on the message, I was reminded to go back to the article. And, and this woman had a vision, and part of the vision, she saw a clock in the midst of the body of Messiah. And this is a small part of what the article said. Suddenly, as the clock hand moved past midnight, the body of Messiah moved into the harvest revival increase time. She said, I saw physical ailments, unexplained sickness and diseases, heavy financial burdens and word curses suddenly disappear off these frontline leaders and forerunners. It was a word specifically for leaders, but it's the whole point of the suddenlies. Much of what these ones had endured through the season was sent from the enemy to stop them from moving forward and shifting the body of Messiah into a new season. But there was sudden restoration. See, much of what the enemy is doing is to stop you from going forward. Only Adonai can accomplish this. As suddenly, as I said, it's not something we can plan or make happen through our own efforts. We can only position ourselves, as these early believers did, by devoting ourselves to intense seeking of Adonai. I want to close with one last long quote. It was an article, another article I'm reading. This one was by John Kilpatrick from the Browns Revival, and it was an article he had written about suddenlies, and God had encouraged this, and I'm going to close with this. He said, I believe God is going to move in quick, rapid, sudden activity in regard to the promises of his word. I think it's up there so you could follow along because it is a little long. There are things that he has spoken to your soul and dreams he has put in your heart that you have not seen come to fruition. 
There are things that you know are in the will of God, but you can't understand why they haven't come to pass yet. God says he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work with the Lord makes upon the earth, from Romans 9, 28. He goes on to say in the article, he, meaning God, is going to do it quicker than you thought. The means that, he, that means that he is not going to do it by your ingenuity or by your works, but rather by his righteousness. Some of you have gone through struggles, fought battles, stood toe-to-toe and nose-to-nose with strong demons for many years. You have been battling, yet you are still holding on to the promises of God. It has been a long night and a weary journey. You are so burdened and so belabored that you have lost the expectancy that our God can move swiftly and suddenly. You have asked God, how long must I wait until the answer comes? God is about to rise up. Don't lose courage and don't lose hope because God is about to rise up and do a fast and speedy sudden thing. He is the author and finisher of your faith. What God has started in you, he will finish. Yeshua is in an intercessory posture at the right hand of God just for us. God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. So, friends, I want to encourage us this morning as I close. Expect suddenly to happen in your life, in your marriage, in your health, in your finances, in your family, among our Jewish people, in this congregation. God will show up. Suddenly, he will demonstrate his power and might on your behalf. Be encouraged today because God will show up. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. And when God shows up, things change. And that's what happened for Kay. But God showed up, and he was set free. Right now, I'm going to ask a few people to come up and to join me. And we're going to close with a time of, of ministry for anyone who uh, would like prayer, whether it's related to the message or not. It doesn't matter. So, Amirna and Gary and Chris and Evan are going to come up here to the front. If you guys can make your way up. And we're just going to close with a time of prayer, whether we receive ministry and uh, after that, please stay because I don't want to take any cake home with me. So uh, we want to serve all that cake up today. Uh, so we're going to spend time ministering. And then um, uh, I'll come up and close with the ironic benediction. And then we can go upstairs. So whatever need you may have, uh, just come down and just uh, allow uh, us to agree in faith with you for the promises of God for your life. And just encourage you. Uh, to believe for God suddenly. Amen.